Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage of the French Open begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. You have now Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren. Mr. Dave Martino has put down his cocktail and he's ready to talk. (laughs) I am ready. You're ready to talk. (laughs) Now we've got um, a writer and now um, she's living in France and she's Scottish and her, her book is called Mum's the Word, and uh, we've got Lorraine Turnbull. So welcome, Lorraine. Thank you very much, Alan. It's great to be here. And hello, David. Hello. hello. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, I, you know, we, we've been talking before the show, and and you seem like such a nice lady. And then when we go into the book, um, the, the you know, Mum's the Word, and we start to, it's about, uh, you know, this, this woman that murders her, her uh, abusive husband and feeds him to the pigs. So, like, <laughs> where where did that come from? Well, no, I have to go back in time now. Uh, I'm a lady of a certain age, obviously, and a long time ago in the past, uh, I used to be a police officer um, in what was then Strathclyde Police, and is now part of Police Scotland, and. In my time in the police, uh, I was at, actually physically at, 26 murders 
within a five-year period. Now, working in that kind of environment, and it, it really was quite rough, great fun when you're young and you're not married and you don't have responsibilities, because every day was an adventure, and it's obviously just stuck with me. And they always say, write about what you know, and murder comes very easily for me to write. Yeah. How many husbands have you had? <laughs> I can tell you about um, I, I'm actually on number two and I think I'll probably keep him because he's very handy around the house <laughs> it's when he gets in the way you know mm. well he's very good he knows his place oh good good <laughs> so he knows he's going to get fed to the pigs well we don't have any pigs we have sheep here um, and obviously they're herbivores, so he's quite safe. But, uh, you know, if he oversteps the mark, I can think of one or two ways that I could probably do him in permanently and not be caught. Well, wonderful. <laughs> you have to write about that, too, then, right? Oh, yeah. You know, be really good. Now, I, so when you moved to France, um, so a lot of your writing you've done there, right? Most of my writing has been done here. I started writing in 2000, well, I started writing in 2016, and um, I had just come from uh, a great job uh, in an agricultural college in Cornwall, and uh, I was writing a book about uh, sustainable agriculture. This is my, my other thing. I split my writing into two. So when I'm not murdering people, I'm writing about agriculture. So uh, the first book came out in 2019, once we'd, we'd moved here in 2017. So two years later, finally got it all together. The first book came out then. And I'm now on, I've just published number six, and I'm writing two books at the same time at the moment, one of which is a murder and the other one which is another agricultural book. So it, it, it works for me um, and I find it very easy to write here and I don't have the distraction of work. So, you know, I spend my day, I go out and I make sure my sheep are okay and make sure my husband's got something to do and then I come back and I decide you know, am I going to write a chapter of a, a murder book or am I going to concentrate on writing about an orchard? And I can swap between the two and that keeps me happy. So where you live or what you're doing, your atmosphere, does it make a, a big difference to how you write? Oh, God, yeah. It's it's funny because it, it's a very French thing. You know, you, you go to a bar and you can sit and have a coffee and you maybe overhear a conversation and something about that conversation or, you know, you've noticed someone sitting at a table next to you and that is enough to spark a story. And Mum's the Word actually started. My, my friend, um, who still lives in Scotland, we joined the police the same day. And we've kept friends ever since. I mean, God, this is like 25, 30 years ago. And... We were talking on the phone about, there was some newspaper article and it was a, a guy who pushed his wife off a cliff <laughs> and she'd be, dealing, she'd be dealing with the case and she says, oh yeah, but we all knew he did it. And I said, well, I didn't, 
actually say that in the article? And she says, no, because we've got no evidence. She said, we're just waiting for him to claim the insurance money, and if he does it too fast, we'll have him. And sometimes it's just things like that that spark it. And the mum's the word had come up about as um, a, a call that I'd gone to years and years ago to a farm and the guy had had an, a, a farming accident and had fallen into the pig pen. And pigs aren't herbivores, they will eat anything, they are omnivores, they will eat anything. And unfortunately they had quite a nice meal on this guy, so I had to put it into the book. So, um... <laughs> That's kind of funny, but uh, so it's it's. Uh, why do you think you write about murder then? Like, what what do you, is it just because of uh, your police experience? I I think part of it is the police experience. Obviously, it's not a police procedural. This book is not. It's not really gory. It's a cosy crime. It's not a mystery. Well, it's not a straightforward mystery. I tell you who the murderer is in the very first page of the book. But the mystery is, does she get away with it? Now, this is the thing for me. I love to do twisty characters and twisty settings and you know just when you think you've got your head around oh, the way that this character is i like to just give it a little twist and you think oh i never saw that coming and it's there's a bit of humor there and obviously i'm from glasgow so the, the humor in the book is very much a dry glaswegian humor now some people like it, some people love it. For some people, it's not their thing. But I like to think that I write a quite well-rounded story and I've had a lot of praise for it, so I'm just going to continue to write these sort of books. And I think for me, to, to write really strong characters, especially when they seem to be getting away with it, seems to be a thing that really tickles me when I'm writing. So... This is what I want to do. Well, do, do you think you need um, comedic timing? Help, psychological <laughs> yeah, <but that's>, <laughs> I know I do. <laughs> do, do. Do you think you need uh, comedic timing to create humorous prose, uh, kind of like a comedian, uh, a stand-up comedian needs that when, when they're telling a joke on stage? I think so, but I think the way that you write also leads, you can see something coming and you're building up towards something and the reader doesn't always know um, what you're building up to, but I like to pepper the humour through. I mean, death, death is a serious subject and, you know, I, in a way I don't really want to glorify murder and have you know, all the all the disgruntled wives out there thinking, oh, I'll just buy this book and it's a, a, a basically a prescription of how to how to commit the perfect murder. That's not what it's about. A lot of it is a kind of pressure release valve. You know, they can commit the murder as this as this character has done along with the story and have a laugh and completely get where she's coming from as a character. But it doesn't mean that they're gonna go out and do that. I mean, my son keeps saying to me, if dad ever disappears, and I'm like, relax, it's not going to happen. <laughs> I'm keeping that book away from my wife. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's amazing the feedback I've got, and 
it's I think the characters are the thing. You've got to have a story, but the characters are really important in any story. And if you can get your readers to invest in that character, you're, you're home and dry, but you've got to keep it going. And I'm very self-critical. I go back and I read things and I say, no, 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 that's got to come out. Or, God, she would never do that. And I change things because... I know it's not going to work, and if I can see through it, the reader can see through it. So I'm very, very heavily into editing, and I'll maybe go through 10, 12 edits before I'm happy to send it, you know, to, to, to get it out there. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's important. It's important to get it right. Yeah, you know it, right? So uh, how do you experience your characters? Like, what's your, what's your relationship with the characters you write? Well, when I, when I was writing Mum's the Word, I started to really kind of empathize with the main character, Anne-Marie. And I, 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 there was a lot of kind of self-discovery, and I was thinking... This is really like me. This is autobiographical. And then I thought, no, it's not. No, it's not. I would have never let a guy like that push me about in the first place. And then I think as you develop the character, sometimes they just take on a life of their own. I mean, I found this in the book that I'm writing at the moment. I'm, it, it's just changing and they take control and you're like... I don't want, who's this person? Who's, who's Marlon Stone? Where did she come from? But she's written herself into this story. And, and then there's this guy that turns up and I'm like, where did he come from? And sometimes that's a great thing in a book. And you just think, right, okay, we're going to, we're going to go with it. And the point with mum's the word was that the mother of the main character ended up being quite a central you know, a, a role. And a lot of the feedback that I'd had from readers was, would you do a sequel all about her? And I thought, oh, I don't know about that. I wouldn't have to, I wouldn't be able to do it as a murder. It would be, you know, two, fa two sides of the family. And mm, I don't know. But you never know how these things are going to go. And the characters, you, you have somebody in your mind's eye that you can visualise. And that would be the, the physical representation of the character. But the character traits you can take from various folk that you meet, like someone you see at the bar or your sister or your daughter. I've written a lot about my daughter in this book. so <laughs> you know, But you've got to be careful. You've got to kind of change, change the names, protect the innocent, you know, make sure you don't get done for liable. But... <laughs> It's, that's part of the joy of writing. Absolutely. Well, are you the type of writer that can hear your characters? Do you have an inner monologue? I'm just trying to find out if you're hearing voices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of the time. And I can really see them when I'm typing it. And I type very fast. I, I, I tend to do uh, about 2,000 words a day. And uh, I go back and I read it through. So my, my, my working, I, I tend to work in the morning. And the plan is I sit down, I have my coffee, have my croissants. And then I sit and I think, right, today I'm going to do a chapter. That's rare. Um, but I'll get half a chapter done. And then the next day, the first thing I do is read through it. And that's when I start going back and editing. And it's really useful because not only am I editing, but it lets me 
pick up the story and I'm I'm in the flow again. But all the time they're they are they are talking to me or they're in the background. I mean the book that I'm writing at the moment has a swearing parrot in it. <laughs> and all I can hear when I'm typing is Billy the parrot swearing his head off. And I'm there with the main character going, For God's sake, Billy, will you shut <laughs> up? <laughs> Do, do do you find yourself um, waking up in the middle of the night hearing voices and, you know, dirty shoes and a, and a shovel in your hand or something? No, but I do wake up sometimes in the middle of the night and I've had an idea and I keep paper and a pen next to the bed and I keep a Sudoku puzzle next to the bed as well. And if I can't sleep, if something's woken me up and it's on my mind, I'll write it down, but sometimes I have to sit and work through a Sudoku. So last night I'd gone to bed early because I was really tired. So of course I woke up about 3am and did about 10 minutes of Sudoku. And then I was thinking, how did he get the money in her bag? How, how did he get the money into her bag without her noticing it? And then five more minutes of Sudoku and I'm like, it was in the library. And it just comes to you. So it's like, if I don't write it down, I can't remember. And, you know, you picture these people, they have a, a, a kind of thing going on. And when you're sleeping, it's acting it out. It's ridiculous because it's on for months. I mean, normally I take about three to four months to finish a book. And I have this nightly during the day when I'm at the supermarket, I'm picking up things from other people, I'm picking up ideas, character traits, even something about the way that they're dressed. It could be the dog that they have or the shoes that they have. And it all goes into the book. Wow. You, they don't let you drive, do they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but my husband hates it. If, he, if we drive, I mean, it's so funny because I'll say to him, could you do this thing and would it work like if if you if you had this thing in a ladder I was talking about ladders last week and I said how high would a ladder have to be on the side of a house so that if you fell and hit a patio you would die instantly I have conversations like that all the time with him with my friend who's just retired from the police with my daughter-in-law who is, uh, she's in the police down in Cambridge, sir, and I'll have this, you know, like, because their system's different in than it is in Scotland, so I'll say, you have fatal accident inquiries. If somebody dies suddenly, is it always a fatal accident inquiry? And she's like, I can't talk about this. And I'm going, oh, it's a general question. <laughs> <laughs> so you're still very romantic with the husband then. <laughs> well, but it, it's... It's funny we have we, we have a very we have a very good relationship. We've been married now nearly nineteen years. I do not know how he puts up with me. He never reads any of my stuff. He says he doesn't need to read it because I talk about it all the time. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't want to know. <laughs> yeah. So why did you uh, join the police? Was that is there a particular reason and and why you liked policing? Of course. Money. Money, that was it. Money, yeah. Before I joined the police, I was uh, a library assistant. And, um, God, what age was I? I was 27 when I applied, and I was 28. I was quite old to go in as a new recruit. Everyone else who joined was a, a lot younger. I think 
my friend Joyce was about three years younger. I was one of the oldest ones there, but it was purely money. And um, I remember talking to my mum about it, and I'd said, you know, and she was like, oh, it's so dangerous. And I'm like, yeah, but it's so well paid. I'm getting double the salary. Um, and it was great. And I never looked back. Every single day was different. You were mixing with all sorts of people. I mean, like, without putting too blunt a, a phrase on it, you were meeting with pure scum of the earth. Uh, and then on the other hand, really sort of famous, quite rich people. Um, and you never knew what you were going to be doing from one day to the next. And I absolutely loved it. And I was getting paid what to me was an absolute fortune. So, yeah. When you're when you're writing and stuff like that, um, how how was it with the pandemic being that um, atmosphere means so much to oh, you? Did it sort of get in the way? Yeah, I found that very hard. I mean, we were we were here, and I I have a big garden, and even we we were we were really kind of at first it was. Uh, you can go to the supermarkets and you can go to the shops, uh, but you have to fill out a form and it's a timed form. And I was like, right, okay. If you want to go for a walk outside your own property, you can't go more than a kilometre and it has to be timed. I found that incredibly hard. And I've got to say my husband was brilliant, so we used we had a kind of pattern of things that we did. And we went out for a walk in the morning and then we went out for a walk in the evening and during the day I used to spend most of my time in the garden. Um, but it was, God, it was so hard. And I brought out, during the pandemic, I brought out two books a year because my escape was through my writing. And I mean, I, I just hope to God we never have a situation like that again. I think, in a way, it was very good because it made the relationship between me and my husband a lot stronger. My kids were devastated because being in the UK and me being in France, you know, you have all these visits organised and, and they just can't go ahead. So we were talking on Zoom, we were talking on FaceTime, but it's not the same. And I, I, I remember my son, I, I'm very close to my son, and I remember him crying down the phone saying, I'm definitely coming for Christmas next year. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is it's okay, this won't last forever. But oh, it was so hard. And of course, at the time, none of us knew how long it was going to last. So I channeled everything, all my anger and my, my, my frustration into writing. So... Um, I brought out two books and I just concentrated on that and set myself a little goal trying to learn something new every week. So I would learn about Amazon ads or I would learn how to use Canva. Uh, I would try and practice my French and I just tried to, to use the time constructively because I thought if I don't do this, I'm going to go down the bend and, you know, that's not going to help anyone. But, oh God, let's just hope we never have another thing like that ever again yeah hopefully not hopefully it's another hundred years you know so we don't have to worry about it but 
as long as I'm dead, I don't care. <laughs> They'll bring you back just for it. No, no, no. Yeah. No resurrecting the dead. No, no. Well, I wonder. So do you think, do you think, I always ask that when people write during that time. Do you think you got, uh, you think that um, your writing would be darker being that you're channeling some of the anger and frustration? No. In fact, um, I was very, I was very kind of upbeat. I tend to be quite a positive person and I don't tend to see difficulties. I see opportunities. So I thought I've got all this time. Uh, I brought out a book about how, how to go about living in France. It's called How to Live the Good Life in France. And I thought, right, it's been out a year. I'll do a new edition. So I, I went all the way through it and updated it, updated the links, uh, changed a couple of chapters, and I brought out the second edition. So that was good. That was a good thing to do. Uh, and then um, wrote another book. Can't remember which one that was. And then uh, started writing Murder at the Moulin, which it, it's not as funny. There's some, there's some nice comic touches in it, but it was mainly about France, so that was quite nice to do. But the book that I'm writing at the moment, which I started about a month ago, it's set back in Glasgow, and oh my God, I don't know how many people are going to die by the end of this book. I mean, she's already got one. One is gone. There's definitely going to be another one, and I think there might be a third. <laughs> It just depends, because I don't know what she's going to do. <laughs> You're out of control. Yeah. But see, she's, she's looking at it as she doesn't care. She's got terminal cancer, and that could be a really depressing thing to write about. But, you know, I've, I've, when you get to my age, we all know people who have passed. And, you know, I've had friends who have died of cancer. I've got a friend who's dying of cancer at the moment, and she is the most positive person I've ever met. And I thought, you know, it doesn't have to be dark and dreary. So the story that I'm writing at the moment is, and it will be called The Bucket List. And she has a bucket list that she wants to achieve before she pops her clogs. And a couple of things on the bucket list are people that she wants to knock off. And I thought, <laughs> well, why not? <laughs> Well, that says it all. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that one question. When, when Anne-Marie Ross murdered her abusive husband and fed, it, fed him to the pigs, did she make sure he wasn't COVID positive so that the pigs don't get it? Oh, uh, no, I think the story was set before COVID. I mean, the, the, the story of the book is the farms actually come through Anne-Marie's family. So Anne-Marie's mother is still alive, and sadly, at the beginning of the book, Anne-Marie's mother has just had a stroke. And she's bedridden, Anne-Marie's trying to look after her. The husband thinks that, you know, farming is just so difficult, he doesn't want to do it anymore. He's had an offer on the farm, even though it's not his to sell, he's had an offer on the farm to be sold for building houses on. So... Everything comes out in the wash, she overhears a conversation, and that is when she decides, you know, he's got to go. I've put up with him for all this amount of time. He's treated me so badly, and um, her temper just breaks, and she's worked out how to do it without getting caught. And you think, well, that's it. She's whacked him over the back of the head with a skillet 
thrown his body to the pigs, chucked on a big bucket full of pig nuts and the pigs are munching away. She's phoned the police and reported it as a tragic accident and the police come and think, gosh, you know, poor woman, you know, look what she's, and her mother's upstairs in bed and, and then it starts to come out. Then you find out, you know, it's not been quite as cut and dried as she thinks. She thinks she's done this, nobody's heard it, nobody's seen it, not the case. And you've just, this is where the mystery comes in. You know, things start to unfold and you think, oh my God, is she going to get away with this? Is she going to end up going to jail? You know, what is happening? And it, it's the, the character, you start to invest in the character. Now, I have to say, the abusive husband is not the only person to die in the book. Mm. They start to take on a life of their own, as these things do. And, you know, sadly, another couple of guys die. And I was telling my brother, and he said, why is it all guys that die? And I went, they deserved it. And he went, well, you write another book, are you going to make the women die? And I went, well, I don't know, I might do that. <laughs> Well, as long as it's not the local radio guys, you know. Yeah. No, no, no. No. <laughs> although, although, I mean, it's, I went to a radio interview in North Devon, and it was at 10 o'clock at night, and it wasn't that far away from where I lived in Cornwall, so I drove up, nice drive, up beside the sea, went in to see this guy, so he was a small holder like me, he had animals, we would get chatting, and I thought... Do you know what? You could murder him in here that no one would know. You just put a couple of, put one of these tapes on that they put on, you know, with the music that goes for 15 minutes and nobody talks. No one would know. <laughs> oh, there you go. There are opportunities everywhere. This is the thing. And, and it's just having that kind of possibly slightly warped mind, that you can see opportunities everywhere. And I'm sure this has come because of the police. I'm sure it has. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so when someone picks up a book um, and reads it, like let's say mum's the word, um, what do you hope that they take away from that book or what do you hope that they get from that book? Well, I hope they enjoy the story. I hope they enjoy the writing. Now, Mum's the Word is set in West Central Scotland. And apart from the weather, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And, you know, it's, it's set on a cider farm, which means there's lots of apple trees. And it is based on a house that I lived at once a long, long time ago. And I hope that people like the poetic description, I do do that quite well, I think. Um, and I hope that people enjoy that and they can visualise the area. They can, you know, they can immerse themselves in the writing and be in the place. And I think a sense of place is so important in books. I mean, whether it's, whether it's a murder book or a romance or you know, a horror or a sci-fi, if you don't have that sense of place, your reader can't really, you know, invest in it. So I hope they get that from it. I'd like to think that the humour comes out as well, especially Mum's the Word. I, I enjoyed writing it and I know I'm the writer. It's my sense of humour. But 
my daughter read it and apart from the critical thing she was saying like you've used this word three times in that sentence you need to edit it but she said that's actually really good mum and she says I bought three copies to give to my friends for Christmas presents and I thought that's what I want that's what I want and it's great when you get a little bit of feedback and and the great thing is if you if you I don't know if you do this, David might do it, I don't know, but I read every single review I get. <laughs> I read the bad ones and I read the good ones. So one of the books that I'd written before, it was very autobiographical, and a guy had given me this review and it was, there's no way these things could have happened in this book. And I'm reading it on the screen and I'm going, it's true, it's true, everything that I wrote in that book is true. Um, and it's some of the reviews I got for Mum's The Word were brilliant, they really touched me and they're useful to go through because sometimes you see patterns emerging so you're reading your review and you're thinking they all like that character, I wonder if I can develop that in another book so in Mum's The Word, Isa is the mum and I'm thinking maybe I will come back to that or do a prequel but there's, everyone wants to know more about Isa and Isa's story. So it, it's good to have. So, you know, it depends. Every reader's different. And I think, I don't know, a lot of readers tend to focus on one genre. They like romance books or they like books that are set in a foreign country or, you know, cosy crime. Everybody, everybody likes Agatha Christie. So it's interesting to see what people are looking for. How do you um, create your main character or characters, like when you have one or two main characters? Are you putting a lot of yourself into it, or is it really kind of based on someone you, you've seen? I think the main character in Mum's The Word, the Anne-Marie one, there's a lot of me in there. The eyes of one, I would say, I can, I can picture her in my head, and she's a famous Scottish actress. She's getting very old now, but... I, I can just see her doing the dialogue and a lot of the, the character traits were based on a, a, a very good friend of mine who died about 15 years ago and whenever I read it, and it's and it's funny, so sometimes I'll just pick, the book, pick a book up and I'll just read through it and it's, I've opened it for a reason, like to check the size of the font, something like that and I find a sentence and I start I start reading it again and I just it takes me back to to that person. I mean the 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 baddie in Mum's the Word, the guy who is the husband who gets murdered right at the beginning. I mean he's not been based on my first husband or anything like that, but <laughs> it's a mishmash of people that I have met, absolutely obnoxious characters that I have met in the past. And it's just like Frankenstein's monster. You take a bit of this from that person, a bit of that from that person, you know, maybe this guy's job or, or whatever, and you put it together. And some things work. I mean, the, 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 when I started writing the book, he had a different name, and it was only when I got into the second chapter and I thought, this isn't this guy's name. He's a, he's a Billy. He is a Billy. So it was like I went back and changed it. So, you know, you don't know how things are going to turn out. Or, you know, you get to chapter five and you realise, even though you can picture that character quite clearly in your head, you haven't made it clear to the reader what she looks like. And, and I know when we're all reading a book, 
and this is the thing, you read a book and then the film comes out, and because you've read the book, you have this mental image of that character, and then the film comes out, you think, that's nothing like them. <laughs> so are you taking people you don't like and you kill them? Yeah. Like people people yeah. that do bad reviews? <laughs> yeah. Someone gives you a bad review, you... you yeah, you... I'll just note down their name. <laughs> <laughs> oh now now so you you kind of said what you want people to get out of it like enjoy the book and the entertainment and stuff but do you, do you ever put kind of a subtext in it do you ever have a kind of a meaning you hope people pick up yeah uh, i had a review from um a book reviewer who tends to review uh non-fiction stuff about domestic abuse and I was a little bit concerned. She, she she got in touch with me, and I said, "Right, I'll send you. I'll send you a, a, a you know a file. You can read the book." And obviously, there is that dark subject about domestic abuse and why Anne Marie kills her husband in the first place. And it's there's there's physical abuse, and I tend not to make it graphic. You know it's happened. You have by reading the book. You know what this guy has done, but I don't want to put my readers off by going into that in graphic detail. I hate reading stuff like that and I don't want to write it, but I think domestic abuse, whether it's physical or mental, is such a pervasive thing right through Western society right now that to write about it kind of brings it out into the open a little bit. And I think that's only a good thing. Now, there's obviously the subtext, this guy has been an abuser and he gets what he's deserving. However, as I said before, I'm not advocating that, you know, we go around killing people because, you know, they're, they're abusive or they've done this or that or whatever. Um, because then, you know, it's advocating violence and it's making us just as bad as they are in the first place. But the aim of this story was to show that this woman who has been physically and mentally abused by this guy for the last 30, 40 years, not only has she got rid of him, but she has regained her confidence. She has been empowered. She starts to pick up her business again and make it work. Now, yes, it has all happened because she's killed the bloke, but yeah. I wanted to try and show that you can recover from stuff like this and that it shouldn't be just swept under the carpet and kept quiet. I mean, in the book, her mother knows fine what has been going on in the house because she's been living in the house as well. And even though the abuse has been secret, she knows, she knows her daughter, she knows what's been going on. And without giving the game away i'll just say that isa tends to help her daughter in the book so you know there is that subplot of domestic abuse there's there's also the the subplot of women empowerment and i mean i used to work in an agricultural college perfectly you know I want to make sure that people understand that women can do the same kind of job as a guy okay physically we're different uh, but you know you can you can use tools and machinery to help you do things that you probably couldn't physically do on your own but there's an element of that in this 
And it's it's just an empowerment of women, I think, as well, is the subplot with this. And friendship. Um, Anne-Marie has really good friends and they all stick up for each other and their friendship bonds strengthen as the story goes on. So, and that's that's a nice way to end the story. Um, that, you know, they've, they've, they've succumbed um, to things that have happened in their lives earlier on, but they've surmounted that and they've moved on and they have grown as, as characters. It's not like me at all, but that sounds very... <laughs> Well, you know, even though it's it's not written graphically, uh, when you when you're writing things that are dark, uh, do you need time to decompress between scenes and chapters, or can you can you move on? Yeah, um, I think the as I said, the the first murder is committed on the very first page, and then it's the clean up. It's the clean up after it is gone into in 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 a little bit of detail. And I went over and over and over that scene in my head, acting it out in my kitchen, seriously, for weeks. Um, because the whole point was to make it realistic that she got away with it. And and sometimes you have to, it's like, it just gets so much and you think, I've got to leave this. Um, and once I'd finished chapter one, I think I walked away from the book for three weeks and just did completely different stuff and ignored it and then went back and read through it. And there was things that I'd written on a check sheet that I didn't want to to, to kind of dwell on. So it was like, is it gory? Is the character developed enough? Is the crime realistic? Is the cleanup realistic? What would be the follow-up as far as the police were concerned? So there was a lot of checking up because, I don't know about you, but it's if I'm reading a book and there's something, it's like, okay, right, here we go. People who don't live in Scotland or who have never lived in Scotland, they go on and on in a book about a description of Scotland. So Billy Connolly, who I'm sure you've heard of, once said in one of his shows that some singer had gone on and on about the blue misty hills in Tyree. Now, Tyree is an island off the west coast of Scotland. It is as flat as a billiard table. There are no misty hills, there are no hills at all, there are no trees on Tyree. It is literally like a green billiard table. I read some things in books and they're totally unrealistic, you know, it's, and it's, you'll read about, you'll read about characters doing such and such, or they've done this thing, they've committed this murder, and, and I just pick holes in it because, you know, even though times move on and, it's a different world forensically now than it was in Agatha Christie's day. But there are just things and you think, that would have never happened, or there's no way she could have done that. <laughs> and, and, and it's terrible. As I sit there now, and it's like we've been sitting watching this um, series on Netflix, and it's brilliant. It's, it's, it's absolutely fantastic, and I love it. And I, the praise to the writers, but there have been things on it, and I'm like, that is just not possible. My husband's going, will you shut up? I'm watching that. And I'm like, there's no way you could have done that. That wouldn't happen. And you would never get that amount of blood. And he's going, will you shut up? <laughs> Spoiling the show. Yeah, but you can't help it. And it's, I mean, it's like when, when I talk to my friend, she says, who are you murdering this week? 
because she was in the police and she's interested and I'm saying da 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 and she said I'm going to send you this clipping from a paper from the local paper and she'll see what you think of it and then I'll read it and then we'll chat about it and she'll say you know it was really obvious it was really obvious <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it, it's fantastic but uh, you know it's I think we have a grudging admiration and it's very funny when you're in the police. I was in the police for over five years. You get very hardened to things. They're not really real unless they've happened to someone who you know personally. Um, it's not really real. And it takes you a long time. When It's like when I left, it took me about three years to feel things like... I would imagine a normal person, in parenthesis, that they would feel about murder, death, you know, things like that. And it, it was like you would go to so many break-ins and, and it was nothing to you because you're just thinking, oh, I'm going to have to go for my break in 20 minutes and I just want to try and get a list of these things from this woman and blah, blah, blah. And, you, and this is the most devastating thing that's ever happened to this woman. She's never had her house broken into before. And you forget that. And it's the same with murders. When, when we joined the police, the very first thing we got when we were at police training school was a little booklet that you had to tick the box for every single different crime. So, like, um, murder, tick the box, being to murder. You know, a drunk driver, tick the box, being a drunk driver. And we sat there at the end of six weeks. So we'd, we'd do the course and then you'd be sent back to wherever it was that you were stationed. And you would do eight weeks out in the street doing your thing. And then you would go back and, and it was like, it was like a, a game. You would say, I've had four murders and three drunk drivers. And they'd say, well, I've had six assaults and two stabbings. You know, and, and it means nothing. And I'm very aware of that in, the, in, in my writing that this is a huge thing for people because normal people don't come across murders every day. And, you, you know, it's, it's, it's trying to re-educate myself to write in a way that um, conveys the, 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 the horror. I mean, poor Anne-Marie, she's killed her husband. Yeah, she's cold-bloodedly gone out there, whacked him in the back of the head. Uh, when he's been standing on a wall, he falls into the pig pen, and she goes in to finish him off. And and for someone reading that, that's quite shocking. But for me, as an ex-policewoman, that's everyday life. But I can't put that... It, because it would be boring, it would be clinical, and I have to get into the character's head to portray... A woman who has had a really boring life for her 40 years and has suddenly snapped and the anger and the rage and, and everything has built up and I have to convey that through my writing to the reader. But I want to do it and not have it like really gory and you know there's brains splattered everywhere. I'm not into that but I had to make that first opening scene so memorable that the reader wanted to read on to find out, did she actually get away with this? Did doing that, like working in the police when you got out of it, did you sort of find yourself looking at people as criminals, sort of, you know? Well, have you ever been to Glasgow? Uh, no, no, that's I, as far as north as I've been as Blackpool, so... <laughs> right, so um, 
When we lived in Cornwall, one of the one of the things that people used to say, they'd get to chat to you and obviously the accent is a real strong giveaway from where we're from. And people would say, Is is Glasgow really as rough as you know you see on the TV? And I'd say, Yep. And they'd go, No, but no, but is it really? And I'd say, Oh yeah, it's really, really rough. And I mean, when when John and I lived there, we wouldn't go into Glasgow at night. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, people would say, oh, why don't you come along to this thing? And I'm like, no. <laughs> you know, and um, there, was, there was areas in the city that you just, I mean, God, you didn't even go there during the day. And, and you know, people would say, oh, yeah, but it's not like, it's not like what you see on the news and these are isolated incidents and you know you would you would say to them actually you know it's you you live in a nice house in a nice suburb and you know your kids are normal they're not drug dealers they're not you know they're not running into the house being followed by a guy with a hatchet and us and you know this happens and and it's amazing the things that you've you've seen and that you've experienced and the, the area in Glasgow that I worked, which was uh, on the west side of Glasgow, just outside a, a, a city called Paisley, which was uh, in the, in the uh, 1990s was the drug capital of Europe. Um, it was every day, every single day, there was at least one murder and like thousands, thousands of incidents of like drug abuse, people being found dead due to drugs, uh, drug runners getting done every day. We were at court all the time, without trying to, without trying to see, you know, <laughs> you know there was some lovely people and there was some there was some nice areas, but there's always that dark undercurrent, and that's how it was there. Don't let it put you off, Alan. You have to go and visit Glasgow. No, that's all right. <laughs> no, no, I'm done traveling. I think, but I think it's like Glasgow is. Glasgow was at one point, not that long ago, a, a, a European city of culture, and it is one of the cities in the UK that has the most parks. It has fantastic art galleries and beautiful architecture, but there is this undercurrent, and it's just. And I don't think it'll ever go away. I think it will always be there. Now. I'm not always going to set all my, my, my murders in Glasgow, but it's really helpful because I like the Glaswegian humour, I like the characters that, that I know from, from my childhood, uh, and I know the setting. I mean, I've set one murder in France, and it was lovely, but it's just not got that dark undercurrent. And I don't want to write the same as like Val McDermott or you know, these other uh, writers who write about crime. And you can tell by the covers, they're all, there's loads of blood, it's really, really dark. I don't want to write dark. I, I don't want to do that. I want to still write murder, but I want to make it slightly cosier. Yeah, there's a murder, but it's more about the characters and there is a bit of humour in there. So sometimes it's quite dark humour, but that's just, I think, the way I am, so... Yeah, right about the happy part of murder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so listen. So, um, now, do you have a website? Do you do social media? Where do people find Lorraine? 
Oh God, now, I do do Twitter, but I'm very political, so we won't go there. Uh, I mean, well, that's all right, Americans aren't political. <laughs> oh God, oh, I'm really political. Really, I'm amazed I haven't been banned off Twitter yet, to be honest. Uh, I do have a website now, which is uh, LorraineTurnbullAuthor.com. Uh, and that's just a new thing. I just started that in January because everyone kept saying, oh, you need to have a website. Uh, Facebook, I am Lorraine Turnbull Author. And I do do Instagram, but I'm thinking of ditching that because, I don't know, Instagram just doesn't really kind of do it for me. So the Twitter thing's more a kind of personal thing. I do tend to put stuff about my books, but Facebook, as I said before, I write either murder or I write agricultural and I've got a big following in some of the farm groups and small holding groups on Facebook and that's great. It keeps me sane. I go out in the morning, I pat my sheep and, you know, they follow me around the field and, and, and I love all that. But, you know, I sit there and I think, Frank Egan has to die. <laughs> you know, and then it's like, it has to be really quite bad. It has to be something that he deserves because he's so bad. <laughs> so it's it's it, 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 it's funny and it's like and I and I do put things on social media and people are great. It's like I'll I'll put little cryptic things like who's been on a cruise and then someone will private message me and say you can't put them off you can't bump them off the back of a boat because they've got cameras now and I'm like oh okay so <laughs> and then they'll they'll suggest something else and then somebody will say something and it twigs an idea. And then I'll go off and I'll research, like, taxing poisoning, <laughs> you know, and, and it's great. It's absolutely fantastic, but, you know, it's, it's, I love that. I, I do love it. And, and I like to think that the people that I murder all deserve to die. And I'm really doing folk this kind of subconscious favour. I mean, everyone has a bad time. I mean... My husband today decided to take all the worktops out of my kitchen when I was trying to do a really crucial bit of writing in chapter four of the, the book that I'm working on. And my God, he was hammering and sawing and I, I don't know what he was doing and I kept saying, look, I'm trying to work. And he says, no, 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 I've started this now. I have to finish it. I'm taking all these worktops up and I'm like, I'm trying to work. I can't think. There's too much noise. So, of course, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking... I've got this Frank Egan, blah, blah, blah. And then all I can hear is a drill and I'm thinking, do you know, one of these days I am absolutely going to kill him. And we've all been there. There are things that either our kids or, you know, a member of the family. Christmas is a great time. My God, how nobody gets killed at Christmas, I do not know. There is so much family tension and everyone's trying to be nice and we're all on our best behaviour. And then, of course, you know, a couple of drinks get poured and then... People say things and then, you know, it's everyone ends up going home at the end of the night saying, you know, God, your brother's such a jerk. And I'm like, Christ, she is so up herself. Where does she get off? And, you know, and you're thinking, for me to write about how to bump someone off, it could be just that little pressure release for someone who hates their husband or, you know, thinks that their husband's treated them really badly. And if they can live through the character in the book, and kill that person and then 
they put the book down and they move on with their life and you know they've had a bit of a giggle and it's been a good story but it's 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 someone who has you know maybe empathized with how they are feeling because they're you know they're looking at the woman they're going my husband treats me exactly like poor Anne-Marie I can completely understand why she whacked him you know and this is why I write the way I, I write and I hope I do hope people get it it's and, and it's very difficult um, because I think British writers, and, and I even see it within Britain, English writers write differently from Scottish writers. I mean, we're a lot more brutal, and I think we're a lot more spare in our description and, and in our stories than the English are. But American American crime books are completely different. I mean, I've, I've read a couple, and... I've had to stop and reread a whole chapter because you know it's some of the some of the plots are quite far fetched to be honest. But I'm trying to put myself into a situation that I'm I'm not I'm not familiar with. And it's like I read one book and it was um, a cop who'd gone bad, so he was the baddie, and he'd married this girl. She was about sixteen or something, and she'd just come from home, and she was like really naive, really silly, and he was really abusive and controlling. And, I, and I'm reading this thinking, just, just so far-fetched. But I thought, no, it's in America, it's different. They have a different way of, you know, living. And, and even in America, there's, you know, there's different things from, like, in the south and in the north and in cities and in the countryside. And... I think I think that's important. I don't know how many American readers would really connect with Mum's the Word, apart from the the Glaswegianisms and and things. I don't know if they would really connect with that. Hmm. You'd be surprised. You never know. Yeah. You never know. Well, this has been a pleasure. We're kind of out of time here, so I've got to wrap her up. But uh, we've learned a lot. We learned to stay away from uh, Glasgow and. <laughs> And we learned, you know, never to marry a woman with pigs. And indeed, there's all sorts of things we've got here now. So we will remember this. So now the book we're talking about is Mum's the Word. Yeah. Our guest is the author of that, Lorraine Turnbull. So thank you for being here. Oh, uh, Alan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Lorraine. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, Hosts or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com.showsoverfornow.isitsgoodforyouasitwasforme.yeah.goodnight.this.isthe.production.something.weirdmedia.I'll.be.back.You've.been.listening.to.the.house.of.mystery.radio.show.to.find.out.